0: Uh, good morning and welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. All right. I've uh, I have a an ambition to roam freely as I preach this morning. but I've made a central location for the recorder. So if you're listening, I might I might go in and out, but I'm gonna do my best to to project. Uh, just so everyone uh, can be pulled in here, so to the for the service. But it's good to be back. My wife and I just uh, came back from a trip. Uh, we had mutual friends who got married uh, in Sweden. Actually, a friend of mine from college, she was in my wedding. He actually preached. Uh, at our wedding, we had five of my groomsmen preach uh, that Sunday. Shane was one of them. Uh, and so he got married to Vicky. Vicki was, uh, Vicky Smith, now Vicki McDowell, was converted uh, at my campus ministry. Uh, she's a Hokie. So we were, she was baptized there uh, probably like eight years ago now. And it's really cool when, you know, you get to see someone not only make Jesus Lord, but also years down the line, uh, get married to a disciple. And to, uh, to do it God's way. Uh, so it's really exciting, we're, but we're glad to be back. They say distance makes the heart grow fonder, so I like a lot of you much more now. And, uh, you know, so if you ever struggle with somebody, just, you know, go to Europe, come back. No, I'm just kidding. But it is good to be back. It is good to see everybody. It's good to be back in the Blue Ridge Church. This is awesome. I love being outside. I love having all these, look all these people right here, this water park. Uh, our kids are having a blast down there in Kids Kingdom, so it's just gonna—it's just an awesome day. And as Seth already said, let's just try to enjoy and see this the way God sees this. But today's also a really uh, awesome day because it's the last day of our summer series, which has been on the topic of compelled. Second Corinthians 5:14, for Christ's love compels us. And this is uh, an unpopular idea, especially with evangelical Christians. Because evangelical Christians think, well, no, actually we have God's grace and then I don't have to do anything or I don't ought to do anything. But the passage in 2 Corinthians 5.14 actually says, no, Christ's love compels us so that because we ought to do all that we can out of love for Christ. Yeah. That we actually There actually is a compelling force. It's not just, oh, he loves us so we can, it's a license. It's actually a compelling force to get us to fall in line to what God's will actually is. And so all this summer, we've been talking about different ways to be compelled. And this is the last one, the final one, and it's entitled, Compelled to Persevere. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be in Psalm 42 this morning. So hop over in your Bible, Psalm out. 42. Come on, dude. I am excited about our fall and winter campaign, and we'll introduce that in the coming weeks. But for now, as we talk about what it really means to be compelled to persevere, you know, everybody goes through hard times. And this is a really, really common struggle for all of us. And in life, really, there's, in everyday life, you have doctors and trainers. Doctors are there for when you get sick and you need some help. Trainers are there when you're healthy to help you go further than you've ever gone before. So some of us in our spiritual walk you know, are, are healthy. And it's a matter of actually receiving training or getting a trainer to get in your life. Actually, you actually go further, go harder, get stronger the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of fasting, uh, of community to be able to actually become a more mature Christian. Some of us get in, in a place where we actually need we get sick spiritually or we get we get we get a, in a dry spell. Come on, bro. And we need a kind of a we need a doctor intervention. So today I want to talk a little bit more about that doctor time in our lives, those inevitable times where it's like a dry spell. And I think our first struggle with when we when we struggle, our first hurdle is that we live in a culture where something is always somebody else's fault. Uh, We have a great legal system in America. So if somebody messes up, I just got to find out who so I can sue them and get what's coming back to me, like get what I deserve, right? So in America, we have this thinking that's very moralistic. If I'm struggling, one of two things, it must be my fault. We can feel guilty when we go through a hard time. We can feel like, what did I do wrong? And then we can kind of even talk to each other like that. You ever had someone, you know, you go to someone and say you're kind of in a dry spell, or you're not just connecting with God like the way you want to, and they go, "Well, are you reading? Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you reading right? Are you praying right? Are you fasting right? Are you coming to church? Are you doing? Are you go to the conference? Did you stay for the whole conference? You know, we, we got, we're trying to find out what did you do in your behavior. Where did you mess up? Because there's probably it's probably your fault that you're struggling and then we get really guilty. The other option is, some of us like this one a little more, is I'm struggling, so it can't be my fault, because some of us have a deceitful and sinful nature. It's got to be one of your faults. Who did it? It was that Seth, he's my group leader, it's his fault. It's Amy, it's his fault. You know, it's my wife's fault, it's my husband's fault, and we can try to find out whose fault it is that we're struggling, but the truth is, sometimes it's nobody's fault. In Psalm chapter 42, let's read this morning. Psalm chapter 42, verse 1. If I can get there myself. Okay, here we go. Psalm 42, verse 1. For the director of music, a maskeel of the sons of Korah. Verse 1. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. What is it like to pant? It's like desperate, right? My soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have become my food, day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God, under the protection of the mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall. All of your waves and your breakers have swept over me. We've got an awesome visual for that this morning, right? All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. My foes taunt me. Saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my God and my Savior. Now the young person who's writing this this psalm is going through quite a bit. And there are some times in life when we struggle because, honestly, we've sinned. And a lot of us know Galatians 6.5. It says, God is not to be made a fool. Whatever you reap, you will sow. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow to please the sinful nature, you'll reap destruction. If you sow to please the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. So I don't want to get it twisted for any of us. Every time you struggle, it's not because you sin, but sometimes it is. You might be depressed. Oh, it's no one's fault. No, actually, you're addicted to pornography. That's probably on, a reason you're that. depressed. Uh, I I'm, I'm I'm angry at everybody. It's nobody's fault. No, you you've actually been entertaining judgmental, evil, cynical thoughts for weeks, for months, for years. Your pride, your arrogance is what's actually informing this. So let's not let's not totally forget that. But I think sometimes we we hit a dry spell and it's nobody's fault. Comes out of nowhere. This is a hard thing for Christians because I think yep. that we think once we go come out of the water, that's not going to happen anymore. We're going to be good. Most disciples, most Christians fall away at that first struggle, that first dry spell, that first time they cease to feel a connection with God. Notice here it's not intellectual. He's not saying, I don't know, I've uncovered some, some other doctrine. Or, I don't know, Like, a, I don't know if I believe God exists. No, he's actually saying in verse 2, where can I go to meet with God? He's like, I, I don't experience, I'm not feeling, I'm not tasting, I'm not hearing. I'm not sensing God anymore. You ever feel that way? Yeah. Like, okay, I, don't, I just don't, I'm not connecting with God. Mm-hmm. And the psalmist is struggling. We, we see him struggle. Where, where can I go meet with God? And our, there's really four struggles that we have. The first one is that we can be moralistic. We can think that, okay, if I just work harder, if I pray longer, if I learn more scriptures, if I baptize more people, if I just hold my tongue more often, that my problems will go away. Come on, bro. And the problem is, is that's not always the case. For we know that even Jesus went the great struggle. He didn't bring it on himself. But we live in a fallen world. And struggles struggle's coming. But we tend to think that way. And we tend to talk that way with each other. And sometimes it's the case, but most of the time I think we just gotta be we can't be caught off guard, I guess is what I'm saying. We can't be surprised. And I think that's why young Christians struggle when they go through that first dry spell, that first drought with God, is because they're they are they are like, oh, they think it was all that maybe it was all a dream. Maybe Maybe I'm not a disciple. Maybe I'm not enough. You know, I'm, I'm struggling again. I thought I, I got baptized. I thought this was going to be my past. And we get disillusioned. And the second problem, the first is moralism. The second is we get disillusioned. Well, bro. We get hopeless. Like, ah, oh, you know what? Maybe being a Christian, at first it was about going to preach to the world. It was about being pure. It was about having an awesome marriage. It was about my kids and my grandkids being Christians. And then at some point we just go, you know what? Maybe... Maybe I'll just try not to fall away. Maybe I'll just do my best to, to stay alive here. And we get disillusioned. And we kind of allow a bad situation to get worse. You ever played a sport and something bad happens and you're so like hurt by it that you don't really act and it gets worse? You know, like you play maybe outfield in baseball and they hit the ball to you and you're like, oh man, they got a single. And then it rolls by you. Well, now it's a triple because you didn't deal with it. And I think sometimes with struggles, our problem is, is that we're we're sad that we're sad. Yeah. We're yeah. mad that we're mad. That, we just are like, I, I didn't expect this. I don't deserve this. And then we just it gets worse. It gets worse. We'll talk about cures here in a minute. The third thing is that we get uh, individualistic. Did you notice what he says? What he says in verse 4. At the end he says, Remember how I used to go... Be among the people, among the festive throng. That's basically what we're doing this morning. They would come together, they would sing praises, they would make sacrifices, and they would talk about all the times God delivered them from evil. All the times in of Egypt that God saved them. That's what we're doing this morning. But look how he talks about it in the past tense. He says, I used to do that. So sometimes when we struggle, we get individualistic and we pull back away from the community. It's amazing in our country, there was a survey, I think... Between 80 and 90% of Americans believe that you can have a perfect, you can have a mature, you can have an awesome faith all by yourself with nobody else. That's Islam, that's Judaism, that's Christianity. That's not just Christianity. But there's this individualism that we have of, I'm fine. And when we, when we struggle with people within this church, or we just struggle with our own, our own hearts, we, what do we do? We don't run toward people. A lot of us go away from people. We pull back. We Come disappear. on, bro, talk about it. We get more individualistic. Once again, that triple, that single turned into a triple. We're, we, we don't really know how to deal with these droughts, and so they just kind of get worse. We pull back. We struggle. We, we're mad that we're mad. We're sad that we're sad. And we actually pull away from the community. But it cannot ever be underestimated. If you read these scriptures, community is everywhere. Everywhere, almost every word that Paul writes is we, we, us, 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 we, us, we. It's it's us. It's community. And so we can't we can't underestimate the importance of getting some coffee on Saturday morning with oh, those sisters right. and time, having a talk about the Bible. We can't underestimate a phone call where you pray over the phone. We can't underestimate the times of community that are so very important yeah, to us. That's right. And I know some of us think, well, I just don't have time for that. But community can be done. And a lot of ways. Community is an email to five brothers or five sisters saying, here's where I'm at. Can you help me? Can I get some advice? Can you pray for me? Community is a text. It's a phone call. Come oh, bro. Community is here today. What are you going to do when service ends? So we just can't underestimate the importance of community. Because this man here, he actually, he's saying, yeah, I used to go. He's actually remembering it with fondness. He's like, man, I miss those days. when I used to go among the festive groups. I miss it. He's realizing, man, I miss that community. Because when you're alone, how do you know if you're right? How do you know who's going to be there to help you out? Who's going to be there to pray with you? Who's going to be there to say, hey, sis, I'm not sure I agree with that, but who's going to be there to cry with you? Who's going to be there to say, I'm here with you no matter what? When you're alone, you don't know if you're living the life that God's called you to live. So we can't ever forget that one, church, the importance of community. And the last struggle, and I'll spend just a second on this one, is that there's a physical struggle. Did you notice what he says in verse 3? My tears have been my food day and night. Now, uh, there was a commentator on this passage who used to be a uh, physician. And he notes here that <laughs> what this guy's saying is he's not eating. And if, he's, if his tears are his food, he's not eating. Actually, the NET translation says that it says, I'm depressed and I'm not eating. And it says, my, my tears are my food day and night. So he's not sleeping. You know, I think uh, there's actually another quote. I'm going to butcher the quote but you get the idea. My A guy named uh, David Jones preached about 50 years ago in, in England. But he said that most Western thinkers believe that if they have a great faith, they don't have to worry at all about their bodies. That's how we think sometimes. huh? The body's not important. I'm just going to, as long as I have great faith, oh, that's not important. But no, actually, if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating, right. Right. your diet's not, I mean, sometimes we're struggling just because there's a physical aspect. To yeah, it. come on, bro. Now, always, not always, but sometimes, we got to be open to that idea. And the quote basically says, if Western, if Western believers can know that their faith is not just the spiritual, but the physical, it will save them from a world of pain. And our bodies are actually very important. They are temples. I'm reading a big book on resurrection right now. You know what the resurrection is going to look like? These bodies. They ain't going nowhere. If you're struggling with that, talk to me later. That's okay, but you know when Jesus comes back, he's not a floating orb. Who's that orb? No, it's Jesus. He goes, look at the holes. He's still got... And sometimes we think, oh, I'll just eat what I want, do what I want. But you know what? Sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes we're not eating right. And we gotta be open to that idea as well. Satan still attacks us in the physical. He still attacks us in this way, and we gotta we gotta be aware of it, or Satan will take us out. Satan will take our legs out from us. And I've been there myself. I've been there myself. We've talked about four barriers, but let's talk about four cures four ways that we can deal. In Psalm 42, deal with when we have a dry spell, spiritually. A drought, spiritually. And i felt this many times. I, I've talked... You guys know this. You guys know me, right? No one said anything. You guys <laughs> know <laughs> me. Yes, I know you. You <laughs> uh, so know Monica knows me. Okay? And I, you know, I love guys... There are a lot of you in the church that just... You pour out your soul to God. And I'm like, how do you do that? I'm not good at that. My prayers are like, God, increase my faith. Increase the church. Goodbye. You know, like, it takes me time to be able to know how I feel. But the first cure is, we got to pour out our soul. Notice he says that here in the passage. He says, I I pour out my soul. When I pour out my soul to you in verse 4, right? The first pure is pour out your soul. Now this guy, what's he struggling with? Not connecting with God. But what's he writing? What is the what is the field? That's a song. So his response is not to just say, "I don't feel anything," so I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to I'm going to peace out. No, he actually writes a song yeah. to God. Right, come on. He's writing a song about how he doesn't feel anything. So if we're gonna, we, we, the first response is we got if, if you're feeling nothing, at the very least, tell God how much you feel nothing. Yeah, right. Right. If you're angry, the very Come least on. tell God how Come angry you on. are. Come on. If you're if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're like, I don't know what to do. Tell God how you don't know what to do. Amen. This guy writes a song that we going to have now because I'm grateful for it. But he could have easily just said, I'm not feeling it, so I'm not going to do it. But he writes to God, and He is. We can. I mean, there's three times he repeats himself, right? Like my soul is downcast within me you know number 1 is we got to pour out our soul we cannot pull back just because we're struggling to connect we got to go i go on prayer walks sometimes and sometimes it's 30 minutes before i say anything I, but you just got to try make that effort go through those times because you know god is god if anybody can handle your mess yeah. it's not not even me like oh drew i can tell drew might like, know it's a god I remember a brother told me that once. He was like, go on prayer walks with your wife because instead of her dumping all her worries on you, she'll dump them on God. That's a two for one. (laughs) She's not putting them on me. She's putting them on God. And then I get to hear what she's feeling. I get to hear what she's concerned about. I was like, man, that's awesome. That's great. So prayer walks with your spouse, prayer walks with each other. Let's just not ever give up and not ever pull back, especially, especially young Christians. And we gotta help young Christians yep. through these hard times. Right. Young Christians struggle. They go, oh, it must all be a lie," but they've been baptized for three months. We gotta help them see. No, listen, this is a part of life. They think, "Why am I going through this? I got baptized. This shouldn't happen." What they normally don't think is, "Hey, you're going through this with God. Imagine if you went through it without God." Yeah. We don't think that in the moment. We right. we get we struggle. We gotta help. We gotta say that to people. We've got to tell him, imagine if you didn't have God. Imagine if you didn't have the body of Christ. How disillusioning that would be. The second thing is he analyzes his hopes. He keeps repeating himself to something important. He says, why, my soul, are you so downcast within me? You ever got up to somebody and said, what is wrong with you? You don't really want an answer, right? It's like a rhetorical question. He's talking to himself. He's saying, why are you so downcast? He's saying to himself, I know his name. I don't know, maybe it's Eli. You say, Eli, why? Why are you so discouraged? Why are you down? Why why is my soul so depressed? Why am I struggling? And then he tells himself. He talks back to himself. You see that? He goes, put your hope in God. You know, we listen to ourselves all day, but do we preach back to ourselves? There you go. That's it. We hear ourselves, Drew, you no good. Drew, the sermon's going to stink. Drew, I don't. You know, you're not doing what you should be doing. You're lazy, Drew. And but you know, we listen. But do we say no? God is good. No, I. I no. For February twenty first, two thousand three, that's the old Drew. And now I have Jesus. Do we preach back to God? So a lot of times we don't. We let we let the simple nature. We let that big demon on this shoulder get really big, and he talks the whole time. But number two is we got to analyze our hopes. A part of what why we struggle is. It allows us for some pretty good self-examination, right? We talked earlier about maybe the, the struggle is no one's fault, but it gives you a chance to analyze your hopes. A good example is, in, I think it's 2 Samuel 1, but David loses his son. His son leaves him and tries to take the government pretty much. And he loses the faith of his people. And David, David is depressed because he's lost his two big hopes. His son, his family... And his, the affection of his people. When we struggle, it allows us to be able to examine why am I so angry? Is it because I didn't get paid as much as I thought I would? It, it, you analyze what you're hoping is your hope in the paycheck. Why? You know, I'm so depressed, but that girl doesn't like me back. Well, why why is it destroying you? Maybe there's a you have too much hope in that. And so it gives us a chance to actually analyze our hopes and reassess our hopes and preach back to ourselves. Amen. Preaching is not. An easy thing. Uh, If you walked into a city and just preached to a random group of people, have no idea what their culture is or where they're coming from, they wouldn't just listen to you. You might be offensive, or you might hurt their feelings, or it might be irrelevant. You got to know who you're talking to, right? In the same way, we got to know who we're talking to. We got to know what helps us. And when Selena preaches to herself, it may be a little different than when Pierre preaches to himself. But you got to know your audience. You got to know who you're talking to. And you got to have those things that really encourage you that you can hold on to. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's just a truth about God, a promise of God. we've got to get really good at preaching to ourselves. And this is not just individualistic, but it's also preaching to each other when we get together in those communities. Amen? Amen. And the last two things, number one, number three really, because we're going through four. Number three is remember the grace. Mm. And this is a big one. You can miss it when you read through. Uh, But he says in verse 8, by day the Lord directs His love. In in English, we don't get this word, but this is a very important Hebrew word called hesed. It's actually hesed, but I can't do the throat thing. Hesed. It's a Jewish thing. Hesed is is covenant faithfulness. It's covenant love. Which means no matter what, God's not going anywhere. And so he remembers in verse 8, the Lord directs His unfaithful love, His unfailing love. At night, his song is with me. We got to remember God's grace, and we got to help each other remember remember God's grace. This is a hard one, right? Because I don't know about you, but when someone shares with me their struggle, I want to try to find how to help them. Oh, you did what? Oh, you didn't pray for you prayed for 30 minutes, not 35 minutes. So you got to go 35. Then the problems go away. You know, like we want to find a little. Oh, Drew, thank you, but there's no strategy. Like I don't, I'm just Drew. You're just you. Like, there's no beautiful strategy. Like, it's all about Jesus. Yeah. It's all about Come God. On. Come on, and bro. that's what we're all, that's all of us are doing is just reminding each other of truths about God. Even if you say God is good, even if you say God is faithful, God is loving, just something to help people remember God's grace. And lastly, I already mentioned it, but we gotta preach sermons to ourselves. Yeah. We gotta preach to our own hearts. Three times he says, My soul, why are you downcast within me? And at the very end, what does he say? Verse 11, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. He, he ends the psalm with something powerful. He says, listen, he's, he's been preaching to himself, right? He's writing a psalm. And at the very end, he says, you know what? I will praise God. And sometimes we've got to be real. He doesn't say, I'm going to praise God now. I'm going to get there. And sometimes it's just a commitment to saying, Bro, I'm not in a good place, but I want to get in the right spot. Come on. My heart's not right about this. Come on. We've got to be honest about that, or it's going to fester, and yep. we're gonna, everything's going to go bad. There's going to be factions in the church Just say, Sister, my heart's not right about this, but I want to get my heart there. But I want to get my heart right. Help me understand. I am here what you're saying. Help me get there. I don't want to stay here, but I do want to get there. It's amazing how those little things are so powerful. But we have the greatest gift. We have a gift that this man did not have. And as we read this verse, and he says, man, my tears are my food. My tears are my drink. We remember the one who said, I thirst on the cross. When he says, my foes come to me and say, where is your God? We remember Jesus as people walked by him, walked by him and hurled insults yeah, at him. Come on. If you really are Jesus, come down from there. As we read this passage, we remember the one who died for us. So that no matter how many struggles we go through, nothing can separate us from Islam. Yeah, we remember the one who died for come us, who took on our sins so that we might live for Christ, so that no matter what happens to us, even death, that you will pop out from the grave. That death itself cannot hold you down. That the Satan's greatest weapon is null and void. We have Jesus, and as we read scriptures like this, we remember our greatest strength. And so, as we take this communion this morning, I want to encourage us just to remember Jesus. Every communion might be a little different for you. This one, I want to encourage you: imagine, imagine Jesus, what He went through. But don't let it cause you any sort of self-focused guilt but let it inspire you and let it move you to just remember what He went through so that you could live for Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and say a prayer and we'll pass the uh, bread and the juice for benevol- uh, for uh, communion. I'll get it right.